Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Listen anytime you miss a service or want to hear a message again from our Sunday worship services and select special services. Lead Pastor Brian Bauer, as well as guest speakers, will bring messages that will help you encounter God, love people. Join us for virtual service on Facebook Live at Encounter Thrive. Or for those comfortable, we'd love to have you for our in-person services Sundays at 10. To learn about us, what we believe, how to connect, how to give, or how to find us, visit the all-new EncounterThrive.com. And now, here is our message. Good morning, Thrive Church. Oh, man, you got to wake up. It is Resurrection Sunday. Jesus is alive. Come on, church. It is time to get pumped. This is the best day of the year. It's the time when the world stops and says, Jesus is alive. All right, so we're going to do what Reichert said earlier. We're going to try and, and just just enter into that for a second, but, but I need you to shout me down, okay? So what I say, he is risen. All right, that's good, but it's, it's right above like a nursing care level. I want to get a little higher than that today, okay? All right, he is risen. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Now we're at middle school level. Let's go a little higher, all right? He is risen. Excellent. We are almost to daycare level. I want to get to newborn level. Okay? Out of the womb, in the delivery room. He is risen. That is awesome. There we go. All right. I know I'm not a morning person either. You're like, you don't seem like it today. Today, I'm a morning person because today, Jesus is alive. Now, we know Jesus is alive every day, but today we focus in on it. We zone in on it. This is what it's all about. See, now, I'm a big Christmas guy. I love Christmas. Anybody who's been around Thrive for more than five minutes knows that. I love Christmas. Christmas is my favorite time of the year, but Easter is the best day of the year because Christmas We recognize Jesus, and it's about him, but we bless each other a lot. Uh, Easter is the day that we proclaim he's alive. The game has changed. The story is different. We are not the same. Matter of fact, if you're like, well, I'm not a believer. I don't believe all that. You're sitting here. (laughs) That means something, but not only that, We're sitting here, and 2,000 years the world has been sitting here on this day. And is it because that many people are duped? That many people have been just brought along and bought in? No. No, lies don't last that long. The world was changed by this moment because it was the truth. Lies are effective, but they really don't last forever. Truth doesn't seem effective, but when it hangs in there and it's truth, it permeates and stays and it changes the world. Back in 1949, just three years after World War II was completely uh, finished, or four years, and and Israel a year later, uh, the, the Jews had been restored to Israel being a nation state. There is dispute from uh, Palestine and other people. And two shepherds, goat herders, were out just walking around. And one day, 
one of the goat herders sees an opening in what looks like a cavern. And he kind of peers inside. He picks up a rock and he throws it in there. And he hears something break. <laughs> he kind of freaks out and says, I think I'll come back later with somebody else. And he does. And what they discover is this cavern, this deep cavern filled with these pots, these, these clay pots with documents inside them. Those documents were 2,000-year-old versions of the Bible. They could date the parchment and the paper and say, this is, this, some of this is original. Some of this goes back to the life of Jesus Christ. This proves the Old and New Testament. This makes true the story of Jesus and the story of the Old Testament more than most of antiquity. See, up to this point in time, the, the, the world seems to go in these rotations, and the rotations work like people stop believing in God, and then there's some kind of resurgence. It's happened over and over and over in history, time and time again. This was at a point in history where people had really dropped off. Matter of fact, just 30, 40 years before, the same thing had happened. The world had basically begun to buy into the idea about the early 1900s, mid-1900s, and thinking man is generally good. He only does bad things, you know, when he's pushed or pressed or if he makes bad choices, but man is generally good. And, and they, were, they were adopting that mindset from the idea that they would leave the Bible because the Bible doesn't say man is good. The Bible says we're sinners in need of a savior. And as they believe this, something happens. What happened in the early 1900s? You can say it, go ahead. World War I, thank you. Yeah, that's, we're the type of church you can talk in, okay? I mean, try and listen, but you can talk back to me. It's all right, okay? All right, we won't take your name down, all right? So, so, so World War I happens, and people see atrocities on a global scale they have never seen before. And all of a sudden, people think, maybe we're not good. <laughs> maybe there's a problem. Then... Right? 30 years later, World War II happens. And we don't just discover we're evil, we're evil against one another. They discover behind closed doors the horrific atrocities Germany committed against its own people and against one particular people. Horrific. We don't need to talk about it. We know. And this moment doesn't just validate God, it validates the state of Israel saying they have rights and claims to this land. Now this is not a political discussion, don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is the validity and the reality that the game changed in this moment. I think we're in another moment right now. Is it just me, or has the world shifted a bit in the last couple minutes, right? Has anybody noticed that? Things seem different than they did three, four, five years ago. 
Anybody feel that way? Go ahead, put your hand up. If you don't, you're, you're weird. <laughs> you're weird, like, man, I want to live the life you are living because this was weird. This is not a commentary on the right and wrong of it all. I'm just, it shifted, right? Things changed. The game changed. We were talking this morning, who's going to come, who isn't? When the game changes, you have to readdress it and say, what is truth and what isn't? What is right and what's wrong? What am I supposed to be living by and what am I not? Anybody here in the last five, ten years lost a little bit of hope in government? Not that we had a lot to begin with. (laughs) But now we're like, I don't think you're good at what you do. Some of you are like, they're doing the best job ever. And again, you're weird. (laughs) But I would love to live in your universe. (laughs) It's not where I am. I wish I was, right? The game changed. And here's the thing. God is still doing what he did even in 1949. And if you don't believe me, take a look at this. We're getting our first look at a remarkable piece of Middle Eastern history in addition to the Dead Sea Scrolls. Fragments of biblical script and other writings were found recently in a cave by Israeli archaeologists. They're believed to have been there since the early days of Christianity. Imtiaz Tayab reports on the material and the amazing story it tells. Good morning. Well, when the Dead Sea Scrolls were first found over 70 years ago, it was widely considered to be one of the most important archaeological discoveries of the 20th century. The biblical text, nearly 2,000 years old, gave us a rare insight into the history of Judaism, early Christianity, and humankind, with these new findings shining an even brighter light onto our past. It's called the Cave of Horror. And it's easy to see why, given the only way for archaeologists to access it is by rappelling down the side of a sheer cliff. Although the history of the cave is as dark as its name implies, excavators describe what they found inside as between heaven and earth. Wow. Wow. Dozens of fragments, pieces of the Dead Sea Scrolls, uncovered after nearly two millennia. The scroll fragments are small, some minuscule, but big enough to still draw wisdom from, says Dr. Orrin Abelman, who reads one of the uncovered passages. Uh, These are the things you are to do. Speak the truth to one another. Render true and perfect justice in your gates. And do not contrive evil against one another. The arid conditions of the Judean desert has ensured dozens of other objects have also withstood the test of time, uh, including these ancient olive pits, remnants of clothing uh, and sandals, textiles. as well as a wooden um, lice comb similar to one that might be used in, today. In the, so Archaeologist Chaim Cohen says the four-year project is vital to protect the treasures within the caves from future plunder. This project is the protection of the area because, again, It is almost impossible to beat the looters, to uh, uh, find the looters while they're working. And the, the, the solution was to get to the case before the looters. The massive excavation site spans parts of southern Israel and the occupied West Bank. But Israel has long been criticized for removing objects found in Palestinian areas. According to international law, taking cultural property from an occupied territory is forbidden. 
And yet those concerns haven't prevented the Israeli Antiquities Authority from putting the discoveries on display in Jerusalem. Some of the discoveries go well beyond the biblical, like this 6,000-year-old skeleton of a small child. And this almost perfectly preserved basket, which wouldn't look out of place at a home furnishing store today. The cave is empty. We found everything. And then when we came, we understood that we, we are looking at a whole intact basket. We took it and sent it to the Weizmann Institution to carbon date it. And when the results came back, we were shocked. It, it is 10,005 hundred years old. A dazzling puzzle piece exactly from the past found alongside ancient wisdoms which still resonate today. For CBS This Morning, Impiaz Tayyab, London. It's an incredible window into the past. They got me with the That's basket. one old basket. basket. Yeah, yeah. Some people are like, well, I don't believe the Bible. I don't think it's true. Okay. You don't have to. I don't believe your chair is real, but yet you're sitting on it. <laughs> there are some things that are very real. The Bible is very true, more true than any book we have of antiquity and the world's history, more true than anything. We have more evidence for it. We have more evidence that Jesus lived, died, and rose again than Julius Caesar existed. And yet we deny it. We put it down. We shut it out. Why? Because we know it changes the game and raises questions that we have to answer. And those questions then dictate everything. And that's the story of Luke. Luke was not a disciple. He was not a follower of Jesus. When you read the book of Luke, you're reading about a man who investigated this story. Over 500 witnesses to the resurrection. If you walk outside, decide to take all your clothes off and run naked, and 500 people do, see you do it, you will go to jail. You are convicted. You have broken the law. But we blow it off when it comes to Jesus. But Luke didn't. Luke said, let me check this out. In the last chapter of Luke, we've been bouncing around. It's Luke chapter 24. I want to read it to you. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, that he would rise again on the third day? Then they had remembered this. I love that. Women right there. Women don't forget. They just misremember, right? That's just, all right, moving on. Don't, well, don't worry, women. You're going to get your moment later. Be encouraged. All right? So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11, his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. So women, they were there, they were at the grave, even if Jesus is dead, they're there. Men, I don't believe you. All right, so take heart, all right? We're slower, we're not quick, we're not that smart, all right? <laughs> 
However, Peter jumped in and ran to the tomb. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings, and he went home again, wondering what had happened. So let's just break this down verse by verse, okay? They went Sunday morning to the tomb to take spices. They found the stone had been rolled away. Why? Because Jesus is alive. His body wasn't moved. A few years ago, CNN and the History Channel tried to do a thing that said, Jesus didn't really come back to life. He's in an ossuary, which is kind of like a clay pot, buried. Every historian on the planet came in and said, this is garbage. Great Ivy League professors were like, I'm not a Christian, and this ain't true. There are people who are not believers who look at the story, life, and resurrection of Jesus and they're like, we have no reason to believe it isn't true. And yet they don't believe. Why? Because it changes the game if Jesus is alive. If Jesus is alive today, my life has to change. If Jesus is alive, death is defeated. If Jesus is alive, Life has a purpose. If Jesus is alive, tomorrow has a purpose. If Jesus is alive, suffering has a purpose. If Jesus is alive, failure is a moment and not a person. If Jesus is alive, forever exists and it matters and you have to make a choice about it. But if you can ignore it, if you can be like, nah, that's not going on, right? It's the kid on the swing in that meme, and there's a giant blazing fire in the background, just like, this is fine. <laughs> I'm good. We've all been there, right? We've all had something major happen, and we're like, it's fine. You guys know that fire story? I've shared it years ago. It's a long story. I don't have time for it today, but I almost burned down Kansas. It's true. It's true. Well, I have witnesses. Almost burned down the state. And the owner was just like, it'll be fine, over and over. Luke hears about this. And when Luke hears about this, he has to discover, like, who moved that stone? That was guarded by Romans, right? It's documented, guarded by Roman soldiers. If the Romans take him out of the grave, they will be killed. If they're even discovered. They have no incentive to remove Jesus. The Jewish leaders don't want to remove Jesus. They want to prove he's dead. They're the ones who killed him. They're the ones who made sure this happened. Oh, his disciples did it. How? And why? Why propagate something that made them, matter of fact, they recorded over and over their own mistakes and failures, how they denied him in shame. They ran and they hid. They were terrified. Jesus, uh, Peter denies Jesus three times with an earshot of him. Why would you admit any of that? And in, in ancient antiquity, in these writings at this time, you never wrote things like that. People are like, well, that's just to make the story more true. They didn't do that back then. You're thinking about history through the eyes of now. To understand and be a true historian, an archaeologist, a, a digger, and an excavator of history, you've got to know what went on. What went on was, at that time, you recorded victory, not failure. 
Anybody here read about the time Caesar was looking off into the distance, pondering and listening to, hello darkness, my old friend, just pondering the, I'm such a failure. No, it's not in the books because that's a disgrace. They didn't write that way. So to record the disciples' failure and misery and disgrace would be to mock who Jesus is and the resurrection unless it were true. And it is. They recorded this stone was moved and nobody moved it. But we know who moved it. Jesus, because he's alive. And in this moment, Jesus is up before, they they don't have coffee then, right? That's resurrection power. It's better than coffee. I find some resurrection power in coffee. But that's common grace. It's another question for another day, but Right? This is a moment where the grave, the grave tried to swallow Jesus and then Jesus made him throw him up. <laughs> Jesus is alive. Verse three and four, they're puzzled, they're surprised, they're terrified. Why? Because they don't understand that Jesus is the plan. The plan wasn't, let's overthrow Rome and let's get our region back. That that wasn't the plan. That's what they were waiting for. See, what they were waiting for was another King David. Another one that takes down Goliaths and then conquers them militarily and establishes their kingdom. And we reign again. We're in power. And Jesus said, yeah, that's not what I'm here for. That was a stay of execution until I could come. Now I'm here. I'm alive. I'm the plan. You see, what does that mean, Jesus is the plan? Adam left and failed God from a tree. Jesus dies on a tree. Moses parts the waters. Jesus parts the divide between us and God. David restores the ark to the temple. God restores the ark of the covenant back into the hearts of man as he dwells within us now. Elijah called down fire from heaven in the Old Testament. Jesus says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Fire will dwell inside you. Everything in the Old Testament, if you understand it, points to Jesus. And everything now, if you understand it, points back to Jesus. He is the centerpiece of humanity. He is the point of reality. He is everything. He is the plan. Jesus is the reason you exist. He is your purpose. He is your meaning. Your life is pointless without him. So that's mean. Maybe, but it's honest. Truth is not always kind until you apply it. If somebody says, Brian, you're overweight, that's mean. Unless they're right, and then I gotta do something about it. I gotta work on it. Do you see what I mean? Jesus is the plan. He's showing up in a moment and he's trying to get them, they're confused. They're puzzled because they don't know the plan wasn't get Rome out. The plan was get you out of hell. Get you back to Jesus in relationship again, in communion with God again. God had not spoken for hundreds of years. 
almost half a millennia, the world hadn't heard from God. And in this moment, they hear again. And they don't like it. Right, because it changes the game. Now I have to answer a question I didn't want to answer. I was comfortable. I was where I wanted to be. You see, I had plans. I, I, I was going to get a boat. <laughs> I was going to write some books. I was going to retire. I was going to go to Cancun. I was going to marry and get, have 2.3 kids. Get an RV. Travel the country. And then Jesus interrupted my life. He showed up and he showed himself as real. And I had my own plans and I realized my not only do my own plans not matter, I'm not the plan. Jesus is the plan. You and I, we all have plans for our lives. God has a better one. You can be part of his plan or you can try and make him part of yours. Let me tell you, it doesn't work. Jesus is the plan. They said, he's not here, he's risen. Don't you remember what he said? Because Jesus is the word. Jesus is truth. See, truth is not what we want it to be. The whole concept drives me crazy. That's my truth. I'm always like, what? That's my fact. That, that's not a thing, right? That's not, that, you can't make something yours. It, it can't be something you own. It is or it is not. It has, you are irregardless of it. Jesus is the truth. When they're like, we didn't understand, we didn't believe, that's because you didn't believe him and his word. If Jesus says it, it is the truth because he is truth. He is the very definition of it. He's the defining line. He is the moment that says that's what's true. Some people, some people are like, love wins. Only if it's God's love. Otherwise, it's subjective. He's truth. I believe in love. But I believe in that love being defined by the one who is the definition of what love is. God is love. Love is not God. He defines the standard, but that's really good news, right? It's kind of like building a fence. You ever built a fence or, or put something up, and then you start here, and then you, and then you create what, like a mimic of it. What's that called? Huh? You start a plumb line, but you, 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 have, you have kind of like a piece that's a copy of the original, right? What's the word? Template. Thank you, brain. Okay. Again, resurrection power, I need it, right? All right, so, but if you use that template a thousand down, what's going to happen? Eventually, you're going to be off, right? Because no copy is the original. Every so often, you have to go back to the original. You've got to make another template. You've got to go back to the standard. That's who Jesus is. He is the standard of truth. And we keep giving enough time, we keep moving away from him and away from him, and all of a sudden, we're off. We're not center. We're not plumb anymore. It's not right. It's happening now. There's massive confusion on what you can be and what you can do and what you can't do. This is what's right. I find it hilarious when government leaders tell us what 
good and wrong, uh, right and wrong is, good and bad. Like, really, you? I've watched your life. It ain't great. I would not call you a, a bearer of a high moral standard. Anybody, and I'm talking both aisles. Do, can we look at presidents over the last 20 years and think, really just people of the word all the way across, just, just, just honorable, never, just tells me the truth all the time. Never doesn't lie. And if you're like, oh yeah, I can see that in so-and-so, like man, again, good for you. But we can't do that. Why? Because they're not the standard. They're not the truth. Jesus is. Jesus is the truth. He's the definition of the truth. And in a world, in an age of deconstruction, God's kingdom isn't deconstructing. The resurrection isn't less important. It's more important than ever. When everything's falling apart, God isn't. When you have no answers, he's the answer. When you're like, what do I do? I would tell you, look at an empty tomb and know he's alive. Look, don't look at what you do. Look to who you follow. God, I look to you. You are the truth. You are the answer. Doctors, they don't have all the answers. I think we've discovered that recently. He said, me, I'm the truth. When you're in prison and you have nothing else, he still stands, he's still the truth, he still exists. When you are lost, when your marriage is crumbling, there he is. When you have nothing left, you can have Jesus. Is he alive or isn't he? He is the truth. In verse 11, it says they ran back. The women ran back and told the men. Just, just side note, women, first ones ever to preach the gospel. Not men, women. And you know what the men did? No. No. Women. That was their response. Did you know in that day a woman's testimony was not considered credible? Couldn't even be brought forth in a court of law. Well, that's because the Bible's sexist. No, the Bible is the one saying women preach the gospel first. The Bible is where Jesus said women have a pl- not just a place in my kingdom, they can lead. My hand is upon their life. He chose a woman to bear and bring him into the world. So that's garbage. We don't believe in sexism, okay? But in this moment, they said, no, that's nonsense, that's crazy. Why? Because even the disciples didn't understand and did not believe Jesus is God. He is not simply God's son, he is God. They couldn't understand that. They couldn't wrap their head around it. And until they saw him, until they saw the, 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 the scars in his hands, until they, until they watched him appear and disappear, until they saw all these things, they didn't get it. They had to watch him die and watch him rise and commune with him again to begin to understand, oh, oh. You guys ever had those moments like, 
oh, right? Somewhere around sophomore year in health class, you're like, oh. Some of you are like, no, I got that 10 years old. Good for you. Let's, you might need some counseling. But we all have had those moments, right? Oh. Some of you, like in auto mechanics class, if you ever took it, you're like, oh, put oil in the car. I see. I get it. Okay. They, they couldn't understand the concept. Matter of fact, Emma, where are you? Come on up, Emma. It's, it's kind of like this. It's this idea that, that we can somehow figure it out, that we can somehow... Everybody waits on becoming a believer because they just want one more thing understood or figured out. So like the old 80s commercial, this is your brain. Okay, you and I, go ahead and grab that for me, Emma. You and I are sitting here saying, I just need to understand God enough, and I need to understand church. What do you believe, and why do you believe it? Well, why do you not accept these people? What, what about this? What do you think on this issue? What do you think there? And, and the disciples were the same. You're not different. We're not new. We're not like, you know, I've really got a corner of a market on a question that nobody's really thought of before. No, we all get it. And here's what it is. When we're trying to get everything understood about God, his word, and who he is, here's what it's like. Your brain, God's word. Here we go. This is us just saying, all right, yeah, I think I figured it out. Okay, well, I mean, I may not. Okay, I don't understand. that, And that's what it is. Because you and I cannot contain the mind of God. At some point, you got to make a decision. Is he Jesus? Is he God or isn't he? Is he alive or isn't he? Because I... I can't understand all the things. You and I are finite. Your life will end. Your brain is only so big. And let me tell you something. Your society is not helping you by trying to provide you with all the answers because they have as many questions as you do. And the only thing that fills that cup to overflowing isn't the answers. It's Jesus. It's just him. He's it. Some of you found, like, man, if I just fill my bottle, if I just drink enough, You know what's funny? That bottle always ends up empty, doesn't it? It's never quite full. Some of us do that with a with a with a with a golden corral. (laughs) I am seeing the bottom of this plate, and you told me it was bottomless. Right? The other day we were at Red Robin. I saw the bottom of those fries. You're a liar. Well, you know what? When we try and fill it with that, it's not enough. Some of us, you're like, well, once I fall in love and I just, I just find that someone, you know what? You're going to find out they're not Jesus. They're never going to be enough. They're not, they're not everything. And you don't want them to be. Because you know what? Even if they are, you can't be it back. You can't be their everything. You ever heard those songs? Honey, you're my everything. Like, man, 
expand your horizons, bro. Because they're not. You can be content in a relationship, but you can't be satisfied in your soul. Some of you are like, well, once my company, once my influence gets to this level, you know what? what's going to happen? Nothing. You're going to want more. It won't be enough because that cup can't be filled. You and I, our cups, they're bottomless. And the only thing that fills it up is a Jesus that left the tomb empty. Because nothing can swallow him. Death couldn't hold him. Who do you want to hold you? Just the person who's next to you or the one that death couldn't hold? Who do you want to know you? The one who knows and defeats the power of the grave? Or somebody who couldn't understand you on any given day? Anybody here complicated? You're like, I just want you to anticipate my needs, honey. But your needs change like wind. I can't meet them. Right, you can't. But that's okay. Because if Jesus is yours and they're everything, you can make it. I'm blessed. I'm married to an amazing woman of God. She gave announcements a little bit ago. I don't deserve her. I haven't earned her. I think she deserves better. But the best part is, I don't have to be Jesus for her because she's got Jesus. Some of you, you're like, well, I just want a good family and a good life. I, I believe in Jesus and that's enough. Could you imagine standing at the tomb that day and saying, all right, I see that you're risen from the grave. Now let's take it easy. <laughs> let's, let's not get too intense about this whole thing. Nobody's, nobody's crying or putting their hands up because that's weird. <laughs> no, I think we would all do what those women did. We would fall on our face. We would be overwhelmed. We would be overtaken. Once you see Jesus, man, nothing's the same. And if you're like, man, I, I, I believed in him, but it hasn't changed my life, man, I would tell you, you have not met him. But you can. You can. You don't have to do this with Jesus anymore. Some of you are afraid to because, because well, I, I, I've always believed this. Stop. Jesus is the question you must answer. I am not talking about Christianity. I'm not talking about Catholicism, infant and adult baptism. I'm not talking about what your family raised you to believe. I'm not talking if you've gone to church for a long time. I am asking, have you answered the question, confronted to your heart, if that tomb is empty, who is Jesus? And Jesus is the question you must answer. says he is. If 
you'd bow your heads and close your eyes. The stone over your heart's been sealed for a long time. And you'd like something to fill it. Jesus, I need you. There's nobody looking around. This is a private moment between you and Jesus. And you're like, God, I I do believe. I've not really been walking it. I've not been living it. Or or I, I never believed before today, but I want to. If that's you today and you want to say to Jesus, for the very first time, you want to cry out and say, God, I want to open the stone of this heart and would you come in? I believe. If that's you today, do me a favor. Just lift up your hand and put it back down. In this room, thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Jesus, come on in. Jesus, come on in. I need you. Come into this heart. You want to say yes to Jesus. And secondly, you've been far from God. You know the tomb is empty, but you haven't seen it in a while. You've been distant with the Lord. You've held him at arm's length. And you're like, God, I want to be close again. I want to sense your presence. I want to know you. And if that's you today, you're saying, Jesus, come back in. Do me a favor. Just lift your hand. Put it back down. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So many in the room today. Father, I pray for every hand raised and maybe the few that they're like, I just couldn't do it. But you are knocking on the door of their hearts. You're saying, hey, come home. Let me in. Break that wall down. I pray you begin to do it. I pray you begin to minister to that in Jesus' name. I pray you begin to expose the things that are broken in their lives to them and say, I want to heal them. That you are God. You are real. You're present and you are even in this room. I really feel like there's somebody in this room here today where you're like, God can't or won't answer my prayer. And the Lord would say to you, look at the tomb. Yes, I can. If the grave couldn't hold him, your problems sure can. grave couldn't hold him, your stubbornness can't. If the grave couldn't hold him, your bad decisions can't. He's answered the question, what's your response? Do that work in us, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. God loves you. He is for you. And he rose from the grave so that he could know you. I'd encourage you, come back. If this is your first time, get to know him. Know his name. Celebrate him. And let's have the best day ever. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. We hope this message spoke to you and helped you grow in your knowledge of and love for God. Visit us online anytime at EncounterThrive.com and reach out with questions, prayer requests, or comments. We hope to see you for our in-person services in Lockport, Illinois, Sundays at 10.
alone.